0: You're listening to Irreverent Bible Talk, a podcast that's not your grandma's Bible study. Unless your grandma happens to be really, really cool. Listener discretion is advised if you object to bad words, women preachers, or terrible puns.
1: Hey Josh, we're going to hell.
0: Wait, what what do we do now?
1: This week on the podcast, we find out what the Bible says, or doesn't say, about hell.
0: So grab a beer a mocktail, a cup of coffee, or a goblet that's on fire and join us as we discuss why the Bible is more fascinating and more interesting than you might expect.
1: Hell yeah. What you drinking?
0: Today I am having a cola. I'm not going to go in specifics, but if a certain company with a red can wants to give a sponsorship, I will gladly say their (laughs) name. But for now, it's just going to be a cola.
1: We're we're the the key piece that company is missing, right? Yes, for that, their, that's their the demographic success. Yes, is us and our like fifty listeners. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. What about yourself? What are you drinking this morning, your time?
1: I yes, I have a lovely uh, mug of tea this morning.
0: Mm, what kind of tea?
1: Um, it's like a spiced black tea. It's from Trader Joe's. Mm. FYI, if anybody likes to shop at Trader Joe's, I will give them a plug. Trader Joe's, you can also sponsor us, but they have a winter wake up tea, and it's really good.
0: Mm. I anytime I think of Trader Joe's, I always think of that episode of Parks and Rec where Chris takes Ron to like the health store, and Ron's like, "I'm oh, no, I'm not buying anything here. I come to the store like people go to the zoo just to watch."
1: Yeah, that's more that's more like Whole Foods-y than Trader Joe's, but yeah, uh, fair
0: all right so as jenny mentioned we're gonna talk about the big punishment the ultimate we're talking about hell
1: thank you i cannot mimic that voice but yes we're gonna talk about hell this week
0: i can only do it because i'm still like super congested because i got the rona last week and i'm still getting waylaid from it over a week later so that's fun times for all of us in the rindy household
1: yeah it's no good
0: ah speaking of hell (laughs)
1: so we are gonna talk about uh hell is such a prevalent concept in certainly like christian culture and it's just there's not as much in the bible as you would expect uh there's really not as much of hell in the bible as as you might think given how ubiquitous it is in like pop culture and christian culture and you know hell houses instead of haunted houses at halloween uh
0: yeah i think a lot of what we perceive today is kind of morphed from uh the divine comedy dante and you know dante's inferno the seven or the nine layers of hell i think that has kind of played into how people view hell as a whole it's just like oh you know the worst people get more of this and it's just like well do they
1: yeah Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Dante, because that definitely was going to come up at some point. Um, But yeah, the whole idea of, like, this, like, descending pit, and there's, like, different punishments that sort of suit the crime of whatever it was that you did in life. Uh, I think what people uh, maybe don't fully appreciate about Dante is that he also just put all of his enemies in the Inferno. Like, it's just a burn book for people that Dante didn't like. He's like, and this pope is in hell, and this guy's in hell, and this guy's in hell.
0: Yeah, it, it, he really calls out names. It's been a long time since I've read it, even looked through it. I just saw clips the other, to like refresh my memory a little bit. But yeah, definitely calls some philosophers out by name and makes them seem whiny and bitchy. and. <laughs>
1: also it's also like a self-insert fan fiction where he like meets his idol Virgil and Virgil's like wow Dante you're so cool and Dante's like Virgil senpai I love you
0: (laughs) I appreciate that um (laughs) senpai noticed me for those of you who aren't anime nerds it's a thing (laughs) it's a thing I mean I'm trying to remember my you know lessons from school and growing up hell is mentioned and i and i googled to see how many times it's actually mentioned in the bible and i only found 31 times for how many page book
1: yeah yeah and it depends like i don't know what your like search like what translation it was using but there's also like different terms in greek and hebrew which may or may not get translated as hell in like an english version. Uh, but yeah, it's not as much as you would expect. And so I thought maybe let's start with the terminology and look at like a uh, Hebrew Bible and New Testament. Like what are the terms that have been associated with hell and then we can kind of roll from there.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Let's get down to the basics.
1: Let's get into it. So in the Hebrew Bible, there's kind of two main terms that uh, are relevant. The first one is Sheol, which in at least a lot of English versions that I've seen, uh, you'll just see the word Sheol, uh, especially like in the Psalms. That word just kind of pops up, not translated. And then the other one is uh, a term Gehenna, which, again, some people may have heard. I think there are some English versions that just use that word, Gehenna. But each of them is a little different, and each of them is not exactly hell. So Sheol is an afterlife. It is like the place where the dead go, the abode of the dead. So, uh, for example, one of the first places that the term Sheol shows up is in uh, the story of Joseph in Genesis. And So if you remember your Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, Joseph has an amazing Technicolor dream coat, and his brothers are jealous, and they throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery, blah, blah, blah. And Jacob, his father, uh, in Genesis 37 says, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Because he believes that his son is dead, and so it's this idea of like, I'm going to go down to Sheol because that's where my son is. That's the, the place where the dead go.
0: You know, hearing that, it's just like, I'm going to go to where my son is mourning. Like, Jerry must see a leaf fall down from the tree because I just hear him howling in the background. To me, it almost just seems like, hey, and I know the translation can, not for Shale, but for a lot of mentions of hell, can be translated as grave. Like, <clears throat> so I could see how Joseph would be like, hey, I'm going to go to even where my son was murdered or died and I'm going to mourn at the place where his body might be how we visit you know we go to our cemeteries and pay our respects to relatives or friends or
1: yeah and so it is that kind of concept of just like death itself not necessarily as a punishment but just like we all know that we end up there eventually right So, yeah, go to Sheol, uh, to my son. A couple other verses. This word shows up a lot, but um, in the book of Job, uh, it says, this is Job 7, as the cloud fades and vanishes, so those who go down to Sheol do not come up. Um, So it's kind of like, this is a one-way ticket. You go to Sheol, you don't come back. Uh, and in the Psalms, you hear Sheol a lot as like a poetic way of talking about death, uh, but particularly Psalm 6, verse 5, uh, it says, In death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who can give you praise? And that's a like pretty important verse for understanding what Sheol is to say in death there is no remembrance of you speaking to God and in Sheol who can give you praise so it's this idea of again it's not punishment but Sheol is the place where the dead are and they are not praising God and there's sort of this sense of like they don't have access to God uh there's no remembrance of God it's just sort of like you're gone you don't exist anymore which you know can be frightening in an existential sense, but it's definitely not an idea of, like, oh, you're going to a pit of fire to be tormented for eternity, and you're going to be, like, conscious the whole time. It's more, to me, it reminds me more of, actually, the way Dante describes limbo. Limbo being this just sort of, like, neutral place. Neither good nor bad. No reward, no punishment. It's just sort of gray, and that's, that's kind of how Sheol is presented in uh, the Hebrew Bible.
0: So it kind of has a more of a purgatory feel without the hope at the end that you're going to get out. It's just, that, yeah, limbo. You're just there.
1: Yeah, you're just there. Whereas purgatory, certainly in Dante and like in Roman Catholic understanding, like purgatory is a process of sort of improvement that like you are eventually going to get to heaven um, via purgatory, uh, and that's definitely, like, not a thing with Sheol. I did find one really, like, weird little anecdote, which I just feel like I have to share, because I like weird Bible shit. In Numbers, in Numbers 16, this is when the, Moses is leading the people, they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they keep getting into trouble, and there are, like, a couple of households who, uh, oppose God, who sin against God, and, uh, God is like, I'm gonna punish them, and tells everybody else, like, move away from their tents, like, don't be close to them, don't touch their stuff, and then Moses says, hey, if these guys die of natural causes, then they just died, but if God does something incredible and they are swallowed alive down to Sheol, then you'll know it's God's punishment, right? Like, this isn't like, oh, they just got sick and died. And so that's what happens. Like, the earth opens up, and these people are, like, swallowed down alive to Sheol. So they, like, go to the land of the dead without dying. (laughs) Which is, I had never read that story before, or if I did, I didn't remember it.
0: That's pretty dark.
1: Yeah, it's a little weird.
0: So, I mean, just from, like devil's advocate so it could have been anything It could have been like a earthquake opened up and they tore him down into underground it could have been like the sand in the desert like just hitting like how we have erosion and uh sinkholes could have been something like that but
1: yeah you could definitely come up with a like logical scientific non-supernatural explanation of like, if you've ever watched a video of, like, a sinkhole opening up, like, that to me looks like a supernatural event. Like, all of a sudden there's just a hole in the ground and you're like, how did this happen? Yeah, so we can, we can certainly explain this in a more rational way. I think, you know, the point in the biblical text is not can you find a way to explain it, but this is a demonstration of God's power. And it's especially the idea of like they they don't die by any natural cause. They don't get sick. They, there's not a fire. They're not struck by lightning or crushed by boulders or whatever. It's like no, they just go alive to Sheol, and like that's the kind of key point.
0: And even saying that's like, oh, it's an earthquake. It's it's a sinkhole. It's like that's still. I'm pretty sure insurance calls those acts of God when there you're is trying that. to get your there is that coverage. So, I mean, it's just not one of those things that just, I mean, it feels like it just happens, but it's set up on a time thing.
1: So in that case, like, Sheol is a punishment, but it's not, like, because it is a place of punishment or torment. It's just, like, basically they, they go before their time because they were bad, apparently. I want to talk about Gehenna, which is, I think, a little closer to our imagination when it comes to hell.
0: I'm curious about uh, the other translations and how that would relate into trying to figure out the string that leads it to today's theory that most people have.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, So this is kind of a concept that develops over time. And Gehenna itself as a word uh, is sort of a, a bastardization. It's like a Hebrew word that got transliterated into Greek that got transliterated into English that's where Gehenna comes from. Uh, it it originally is just a geographic term. It's a location, uh, and specifically uh, the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, uh, which is first referenced in Joshua. In Hebrew, uh, that phrase, Valley of the Son of Hinnom, is Ge ben Hinnom. And it gets kind of shortened to just the Valley of Hinom. So if you take out Sun, then you get Gehinom. Uh, and you can kind of see how you get from Gehinom to Gehenna, you know, uh, linguistically. So it's just a place originally. It doesn't have any, like, bad connotations at first. Uh, but once you get into the period of the kings, and especially King Josiah, who was very bad did great evil in the sight of the lord uh that location comes to be associated with human sacrifice and specifically uh the sacrifice of children which is horrible right uh we're not talking about a an afterlife or a supernatural place but we're talking about something that is pretty hellish uh in in that sense so this is mentioned in Second Kings chapter 23, that they were sacrificing children there. And then it's also called out in Jeremiah. So Jeremiah 7:31, it says, They go on building the high place of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, again, Gehenna, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind." And that's God speaking through the prophet there. So God's saying like, hey, they're sacrificing their children in this place and I did not tell them to do that. Like God is very clear. This is not something that God had demanded. So because it gets this association with something truly awful and also this idea of like burning in fire, uh, Gehenna takes on this sort of metaphorical meaning of like, a place of fire, a place of evil, and then when you get a little bit later, so out of the period of the Hebrew Bible, more into uh, New Testament time, and and even later, it was understood as a place of suffering in the afterlife. So some rabbis took this concept of Gehenna which was a real place that had these bad connotations and then sort of spun that out and said okay well people are going to be punished in the afterlife and the place where they're punished is Gehenna which is this place that's associated with like fire and uh and evil
0: so basically like here's this horrible event that happened and we're going to take that and we're going to start using it as adapting stuff to kind of make it a scare tactic to keep people in line and to just help maybe summarize some things that are just too broad for us to understand into an easier concept.
1: Yeah. And and I think it's like if you if you needed a name for the place people get punished in the afterlife, uh, it's like, oh, we well, we we know this place that's terrible and where children were sacrificed. Like, let's let's name it after that.
0: That would make a lot of sense. I mean, you bring that up, you're going to be like, I don't want that. Yeah. It's terrible.
1: And for the most part in the Hebrew Bible, because I want to jump to the New Testament and actually still we have a little more to say about Gehenna. But in the Hebrew Bible as a whole, there is not much of an emphasis on the afterlife. Most of the Hebrew Bible just has this concept of Sheol, that like when you die, you go to Sheol, End of story. It's not a punishment, it's not a reward, it's just a neutral place where, you know, it's possible that there's not even really a lot of consciousness, um, because the psalm does say, like, there's no remembrance of God in Sheol, so it's just, like, blah. This idea of, like, after you die, you are going to be rewarded or punished for the things you did in life— that whole concept really develops later. It becomes much, much more emphasized in Christian tradition. But in the Hebrew Bible and in the Jewish tradition, there's really not as much of an emphasis on it. And and even nowadays, you know, Jewish people will tell you, like, we don't do good things because we want to be rewarded in the afterlife or because we want to avoid punishment in the afterlife. You know, we do, you know, just righteous things because... That is what God has told us to do. And it's it's much more about this is the life we have, not, you know, are you planning for your afterlife? The kind of one exception to this is uh, in the book of Daniel, which we talked about. So listeners, jump back to the episode on Daniel if you want to hear more. But as I mentioned in that episode, like Daniel is written in a time First of all, it's very late. It's the last book of the Hebrew Bible to be written. It's written in a time where people are being horribly persecuted for their faith. And so this idea of, you know, how can righteous, faithful people be killed? That's not fair. Kind of drives a need for an understanding of the afterlife. And so Daniel does talk about people will be raised, some to everlasting reward and some to everlasting punishment. So you do have this sense of like, after death, there is going to be sort of a reckoning and the scales are going to be set right in terms of people who should have been rewarded and weren't and people who should have been punished and weren't. So you do get a little bit of that kind of afterlife, what is your fate going to be? But for most of the Hebrew Bible, that's not really emphasized.
0: Fair enough. And before we start getting into New Testament, more Christianity meanings, do we want to talk about our personal views on hell?
1: Uh, sure.
0: Opinion-wise, I, I mean, I will, again, I just kind of give my opinion on it. I think living on an earth, being separated from God, like, we obviously you can see God through things in the, in the world, but living on this world away from... God, I feel like that would fit the definition that I was taught of hell, the separation of God you can get punished, you can everything is can be terrible here for some people for no fault of their own. It's just being born could be worse than anything can somebody can imagine just because of decisions someone else had made for them. So I kind of feel like that we are currently living in a version of hell. Every day separated. But I'm also like a... I kind of fall into the Christian universalism school of thought for salvation. That everyone is going to be saved. So I kind of feel like if there is a hell, we're going to be in it right now. But we're going to be saved at the end. That's my personal view. I could be way wrong. I could be spouting heresy. That's just how I understand it. And how I believe a creator would be as not to let their creation suffer for eternity.
1: Yeah. I was going to make a joke about uh Sartre and the the line hell is other people that Josh thinks hell is other people, but that was like so thoughtfully said that now I feel bad. So I'm making the joke anyway, but I feel bad about it.
0: Uh you shouldn't cuz that is like definitely You've seen me try to talk to like strangers. Like you've heard me talk like <laughs> it's not a good experience for me. Like that is a personal hell is just being put like here, introduce yourself. What? I don't know these people.
1: For Josh, hell is any time he has to interact with other humans.
0: Yeah, COVID really screwed me over like social skills wise. I've lost everything that I used to have.
1: <laughs> I definitely hear where you're coming from and I I don't disagree. Uh, It reminded me of, uh, this is a thing that I heard on, I'm going to say This American Life because it feels like a This American Life kind of story, about a preacher. And I want to say maybe he was Baptist. I'm going to have to look this up after we record. Anyway, this, this guy who had spent his whole life not only believing in hellfire and damnation, but like preaching it and warning people against it and he had this like 180 change of heart where he like looked at suffering in the world and said like this is hell we're we're suffering right now this whole idea of like you're going to go somewhere bad after you die he was like that's that's crazy like hell is the suffering that people are experiencing right now and we should be trying to like alleviate that and so he he basically became a universalist and was like I don't believe in hell anymore. And uh, spoiler alert, his church did not love that. <laughs> he, he had a real hard go of it um, after he came out and was like, I don't believe in hell. It's a fascinating story, but it, I think it really resonates with what you were saying, Josh, of like, we don't need to imagine some place of torment. Like, lots of people are suffering torment right now. And maybe we should, like, care about them instead of, you know, sending them Bibles and saying, do you know, you know, if you die today, do you know where you'll end up?
0: I'm going to go off on a tangent because to me, like, I'm all for, like, helping individuals. I'm all for, like, helping other countries. Maybe, you know, you can witness to the other countries. Missionaries can be a good thing if they're actually doing good things. If they're just sitting there and just saying, well, you're going to hell because you believe in the sun God, because you haven't, you know, that's all you've experienced. That's what you grew up with. That's not helping them. Like it's show them. I don't want to say through works because you know, faith, not works, whatever, but you know, show them with your actions. Like you want to help somebody give that organization that helps those people money. You want to build houses, Go work for Habitat for Humanity. You know, those little things that a lot of people don't even, like, take credit for because it, they, it doesn't seem like a huge thing to them. But that's the the where it comes to. That's, like, showing your love, God's love, is just doing that and creating a better life, creating a better planet, creating a more stable place for the rest of us.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of, I mean, we could we could go way, way off track talking about this, but I think a lot of kind of Christian missionary work or outreach work tends to be more about making us, meaning the uh, Christians who have relatively more, like, privilege and means, it's more about, like, making us feel good about ourselves and less about actually what do other people need uh, because we love to come in and be like, we're gonna start our own organization, and we're gonna like reinvent the wheel, and we're gonna dig wells for you. And then people are like, we actually didn't need you to dig wells; like, we needed you to give money to this completely other thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah,
0: yeah, and you know, it's the smallest things that you know can be the most impactful, and it doesn't have to be like a serious toilsome thing. I remember in college we went to the Twin Cities and did some work up there on like a fall break we had. And it was just, you know, it was a blast because I was with um, one of Jenny and I's mutual friends, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. And it was just a fun time. And, you know, I didn't think of it as like, oh, this is doing this crazy work, but it helped a lot. We helped make meals. We helped clean up like this old building that they were using for to feed people. And we painted and like, it was just simple work. And it didn't feel like, look at me. I'm doing all these great things. And that's, you know, it, it doesn't need to feel like that. Yeah, it's great to feel like get that high, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going off script again. But yeah, yeah that's
1: all that's, right.
0: That's, that's, that it's just, it's the small things that we can do to make life less hellish for the rest of us, for everyone else.
1: Yeah. yeah. That was my attempt to bring it back. I love that. I'm all about it. I, I think this idea that suffering in this life, is maybe more important than a hypothetical afterlife. I do think that's that's important. Like that is a, a really thoughtful way to approach this idea of hell. In terms of, you know, does does hell exist? Is hell real? Like honestly, I don't know. I I think that and we may have talked about this when we talked about Satan. I think evil is real. And I think that like powers that are opposed to God are real and not just in a you know some people are misguided kind of way, but like no, they're genuinely like forces in the universe that are opposed to God, and so I I kind of feel like this idea of punishment is maybe more in that realm of like the the cosmic conflict versus like good and evil and forces that are opposed to god and this is i mean in some ways kind of what you see in revelation that like you have this lake of fire and the dragon is cast down into the lake of fire now revelation also says that like the people who follow the beast are going to be punished but i also i think there's kind of this idea of the supernatural forces arrayed against god are going to be punished and like I'm a little more comfortable with that, I guess, than thinking about human beings who are made in the image of God being eternally punished. So I I think that's where I kind of line up with you, Josh, of like, I don't think God is damning any of us to hell. I don't think that there is like a place of eternal torment just because, you know, you didn't check enough boxes in life.
0: Right. And I just want to believe that our God is a God of love. And I just can't see to me i can't wrap my head around a creator that loves his creation that loves us would be willing to let their children suffer eternal damnation because you know let's face it some people don't get understanding of the word correctly they get brought up in poor translations they get they just don't even get a chance to hear it i just i don't i can't believe that that or hell would be waiting for those individuals.
1: It's, it's definitely interesting. I feel like it's such a a thorny issue. Like it's it gets very messy when you start thinking about the afterlife.
0: Yeah, and especially like you said, it doesn't really talk about it in you know the Hebrew Bible and the Jewish tradition. They only have brief mentions of an afterlife, which I guess would lead us now into the New Testament versions and where we hear about. Heaven and hell and damnation in it.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about the New Testament. So, this is a great example of how the New Testament is blending traditions because the New Testament is obviously rooted in the Hebrew Bible and there's a lot of connections to the Hebrew Bible. But the New Testament is also written in a world where Greco-Roman culture has become really dominant and so a lot of that kind of Greco-Roman a little bit of the mythology but also like philosophical concepts are getting mixed in in the New Testament and so you get this weird mashup um and and talking about hell or, or the afterlife is definitely a good example of that. There are a number of places uh, in the New Testament where your translation may say hell. Um, So just as one example, Matthew 5.22, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, uh, if you're angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. And that phrase, hell of fire, in the Greek is ge'enon to puros. And ge'ena, that's the Greek word gehenna. So when Jesus is talking about the hell of fire in Matthew, it's literally gehenna, the gehenna of fire, uh, which goes back to what we already talked about with this valley and the human sacrifice and how it kind of took on this metaphorical meaning. So there's a number of places where, and I think particularly in Matthew, it seemed, you see Gehenna, and that's what's being translated as hell. So that's clearly like drawing on the Hebrew tradition. But the New Testament also uses the word Hades in a lot of places, and Hades could also be translated as hell. Hades, uh, as you will remember from Greek mythology and or Disney's Hercules, is the Greek god of the underworld or the the god of the dead and his domain the underworld came to also be known as Hades so Hades can refer to the god or the place
0: and i think that's where a lot of belief of in the christian like tradition that you know you go down to hell like into Hades so it's like in that in the earth like the darkness and i think that's comes from a lot of that from greek mythology moving into and aspects being used for it, probably as examples for education and it just kind of blended from there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so there's there are a bunch of places where the word Hades is used for like the underworld. Um Matthew eleven twenty three, 23, Acts 2, 31, etc. So you have different terms that are maybe being translated the same in English. Uh Gehenna hades are being translated as hell but you can see they're drawing on different traditions and we as christians especially reading the bible in english we kind of lump all of that together all that stuff is uh just hell but it's actually like okay well does it make a difference if it's referring to hell as gehenna from the Hebrew Bible, or if it's referring to hell as Hades, which comes out of the the Greco-Roman tradition. And there is one other uh, word I found, and this surprised me. Um, This is in uh, 2 Peter 2.4. Honestly, not one of the letters that I've paid the most attention to. But 2 Peter 2.4, it says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of deepest darkness to be kept until the judgment, blah, 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 blah. The word that's translated as hell in that verse is not Gehenna and it's not Hades, it's actually Tartarus. And in Greek mythology, Tartarus is an abyss of punishment and torment, and it's the place where uh, the Titans were imprisoned. So, the Greek gods fought against the Titans, defeated the Titans, locked them away in this abyss, which is known as Tartarus, and so in Second Peter, that is actually the term that is used for hell. And I just thought that was really interesting, because that is not only yet another word that's being translated as hell, but like, that's like a pretty deep Greek mythology reference.
0: Yeah, that is, like, straight from Greek mythology that would have no, even more so than Hades, would have no business being in, you know, everyday speak for a Christian. But I guess if you're, I kind of, like, it kind of makes me think still, like, if you're using it as more of an example, like with Hades and how that kind of translated, at least in my opinion, I think that would be a very, a big, like, hey, you know, if angels sinned against God, they're going to be locked like the Titans were locked. They're going to be, it's not going to be, oh, they're going like they're going to be locked in the worst of prisons and worst of suffering.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it is probably like the, the letter is adapting that mythology and saying like, Oh, like you've heard the stories that the Greeks tell. Well, God who's real, uh, locks these wicked angels away in Tartarus I I didn't look this up. I think that 2 Peter is one of the later books in the New Testament in terms of when it was written. Uh, And that may also have something to do with it, that as um, Christianity developed, maybe more of the Greco-Roman influence was starting to kind of seep in to Christian identity. And so that may be part of the reason why this shows up here. In terms of other like references that I think feed into our idea of hell. I think a lot of it comes from like parables and especially parables in Matthew. So you have, for example, a parable Jesus tells where uh, there's wheat in a field and somebody comes and sows weed weeds in amongst the wheat, not weed weeds.
0: How did you know? That's what I was thinking
1: because I could see it on your face cuz we're video chatting. <laughs> Josh got a little a little sly smile on his face. Anyway, and so in the parable the landowner says like, "Well, let them grow up together, and then when the harvest comes, we'll throw the weeds into the furnace." And Jesus says like this is what the parable means, like the the wicked will be thrown into the furnace. Uh Likewise, some of the parables have this idea of, like, outer darkness. So there's the parable of the wedding banquet where this one guest uh, isn't wearing the robe. And uh, the king who's throwing the banquet says, um, you know, cast him out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so, again, that has kind of become a, a way of imagining, like, a punishment in the afterlife. So you have these metaphors in some of Jesus' parables that kind of play into, well, what is hell? Oh, it's burning fire. Oh, it's weeping and gnashing of teeth that, like, these are sort of extrapolated from the parables.
0: I'm just I'm trying to wrap my head around some of that because that, one, I still have a lot of brain fog from the COVID, and two, that's just, that's really interesting.
1: It's interesting when you start digging into, well, why do we assume that hell is a certain way? And like you said at the beginning, I think a lot of that just has to do with Dante and, like, other representations in art and literature. Uh, We've talked before about Milton's Paradise Lost. I think his description of hell is probably also influential. But then you get these things in the New Testament. There's nowhere in the New Testament that lays out, like, this is exactly what hell looks like. And these are the different areas. And this is who's going to be there. That's not in the Bible. So you have to really dig to find these references of like, oh, okay, there's references to fire. There's references to darkness. um, And then those all get pieced together to form this image of hell uh, that has become really ubiquitous.
0: Yeah, because I'm just trying to think of like the pop culture you know the visions that we see some it is just like this it's just nothing but like desolation but fire everywhere some you actually see like basically it's looks like earth but it's not it's like all deteriorating and just everything is off and uncomfortable and then
1: i think that's actually the upside down from stranger things that you're thinking of
0: um i was actually thinking of the movie constantine with keanu reeves (laughs) but yeah uh but yeah love th- it this, this upside down is yeah that would be a scary hell yeah it's hell, prob- it probably does rep- yeah it does probably represent a hell in the author's idea but yeah
1: i just keep thinking of uh do you remember the old episode of the simpsons where i think the flanders put on a hell house do you remember this one
0: i am trying to remember it
1: might have been a treehouse of horror
0: which, what, what? I'm trying to remember. Like, all
1: right, we might cut this out if I have no idea what I'm talking about. Because I'm
0: thinking, like, I keep getting King of the Hill when they try to do that hell house instead of trick or treat.
1: Uh, it was a tree house of horror. Okay. Um,
0: it's not the one where Homer sells his soul for a donut, right?
1: No. There's this episode where, uh, Ned asks for the power to psychologically torture the kids into loving God. So he makes a hell house.
0: And oh, that's such a good point to bring up because how much of hell or heck according to Ned is used to psychologically scar people to make them believe in God and to mm-hmm. behave. It's kind of like, you know, we use prison to scare people into not breaking the laws and hell is like yeah, it's the same thing, but this is moral laws, not just yeah. physical. Like,
1: Yeah, and, like, first of all, you know, we've already talked about sort of the theological problems with that, of, like, what kind of a god would do that. But also, like, that's just not a good way to motivate people. Like, yeah, you can you can keep kids in line if they're terrified of you, but that does not create well-adjusted adults. Right. So this idea of using fear to keep people in line, I think is ultimately not a good strategy.
0: It's like with a kid. If you, if they're afraid of you, they're going to push as far as they know until they can, will get like the rod in this case, we'll use that as an example. Um, you'll get spanked or whatever. Like they know just how far to push it and then they'll back down. And it's not because they don't want to, push that boundary it's just because they don't want to get physically hurt from it or mentally hurt from it that doesn't make them want to do good things to because they want to be a good person it just makes them do these things because they don't want to get in trouble for it and that's not a good mindset because that's not the purpose it's like yeah i go to church every week but i don't really believe in god or you know i take communion and i get baptized I don't believe in this but I'm just doing it because I have to go through the motions yeah
1: yeah I, I need to make sure I've checked off everything on the list so that I don't go to the bad place oh man we didn't even talk about the good place oh
0: and we never really got into purgatory either I think we might have to bring this section up again at some point
1: I Yeah, I kind of think we need to do another episode about, like, the afterlife in general. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned for that, listeners. Although, uh, we won't get to that uh, here in 2023, because next month we're going to do two Christmassy episodes.
0: And for some reason, Pastor Jenny thinks she's going to be busy in December and not have a ton of time to record and do all this stuff.
1: Just a theory. I don't
0: know. I don't see Next thing you know, she's going to say she has to work Christmas Eve and Christmas Day.
1: I do have to work Christmas Eve and Christmas Day.
0: I know. It's a really bad <laughs> schedule this year for you.
1: Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, folks. All your pastor friends know.
0: So be extra nice to them. Yes, please. Because they're going to have to work. Yep. A lot.
1: Because hell is having Advent 4 and Christmas Eve on the same day? No, I don't think I want to go there. No, well,
0: I can cut that part out. That seems pretty... <laughs> Maybe. No, maybe I'll leave it in. I'll you talk can leave you it in as
1: long as you also leave in me saying I don't want to go that far.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's funny. Because the one who controls the editing controls the... It
1: controls the narrative for real.
0: Right. All right. Although you could just not post it on the other sites. You could just take it down. But yeah.
1: All right. Take, take us home.
0: All right. So I guess what we're saying is, while it could be a real thing, you shouldn't be afraid to do good things. You're not what is that i have that ephesian first pulled up um for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is a gift from god not by works you can't do anything you can believe in god and you can do everything you can you're gonna fall short because you're human because if we yeah and that's a whole nother topic of free will which i know we've kind of talked about and that's a whole mess and of its own belief we can't do anything to save ourselves other than just try to be good people and try to live like God would want us to,
1: and trust uh, trust that God is gracious.
0: Yeah, don't go to hell.
1: Okay, I won't.
0: So yeah, I I think this has been kind of a in and out episode, but because we're just kind of all over the place. But I think this is such a interesting topic, and yeah, because it's just such a weird. The way it's been portrayed so be good um i think this will come out probably the weekend after thanksgiving so i hope all our united states listeners had a great thanksgiving um canada had theirs in october i don't know about other countries and how they do that if they do it but oh we just hope everybody has time to spend time with their families and the ones they care about family friends whatever even if it's just chatting on wow playing with people. Make sure you take that opportunity.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to Irreverent Bible Talk. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find us at soundcloud.com slash Bible. And remember, just like Balaam and his donkey learned, sometimes even God communicates through a talking ass.